Uh, it's just good to see everyone here today. Uh, we're kind of getting into the fall season, and it's so good um, to just uh, have the family together and to worship together, to be with one another. And so uh, we're going to dive into the scriptures today and, and just allow the Lord to teach us, to, to grow us up. And last week we got started on a series called The Tension is Good. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to turn to the person next to you, put your hands on the shoulder, like you're going to give a massage, and be like, nah, just kidding. Just kidding. The, Pastor Kyle said the tension is good, so no massage for you. No massage. Um, <laughs> So the tension is good, and what, I, what I'm talking about through this, and we started last week, was one of the toughest tensions that there is, and one of the most deeply uh, spiritual and theological importance that we kind of live within this tension, whether you've grown up in church or not, uh, of how are we saved? Is it completely through faith, or is it, you know, all workspace? We may have grown up in a church or a home that it kind of one, is one way or the other, and which works has nothing to do with it, or it's all works. And we looked at the text in the scriptures last week, and that really this James passage really kind of says it's kind of, you can't have faith without works. And then we looked at another that says it's really only by faith alone. And we kind of unpacked a scripture from Jesus that really just said, look, it's got to happen from the inside out. It's got to happen from the inside out. And for it to be a real process that God starts, it starts on the inside out, and not where we just clean the outside of the cup, but we're first cleaning the inside of the cup, and then the outside will also be clean. And today we're going to go into just one of my, my favorite topics, something that I've just meditated on for a long time. The Lord's really taught and developed in my heart as we talk about tension. And it's the tension as a bass, like we're going to have like a little bass thing coming. Um, is the tension between the practical and the spiritual. Spiritual and the practical. And, and what we're going through with this, it's not one or the other, but it's both and. That the spiritual things, there's practical application for it. And the practical things, there's spiritual implications for it. And that, that it's not one or the other, it's both and. It's not practical versus spiritual, it's the spirit versus the, the flesh. And we're going to dive in this today. Um, and it's, we're all wired a little differently. I mean, you know this. Some of us are wired really practically. We're really analytical. Okay, I hear the big idea, now tell me the details. I see this happening. Okay, what's, what's really, what's the application for that? Some of you may have attended a church before you attended Fathom that was too spiritual for you, or it was too practical for you, and not spiritual enough, or not practical enough, but it's both, and it's not one or the other, and one will refine the other. We're, we're wired differently. Some of us are in this very analytical realm, and some of us are very free-thinking, more um, connected to... Um, uh, what's the word I, I'm thinking of, ethereal type ideas and, and, and spirituality. And others kind of connect first with our mind, but the truth of the matter is that God wants to connect both with our spirit and with our mind, both with our emotions and with our physical body. And God meets us in different places, but he dra draws us and grows us up to be a f into the fullness, which is kind of the, the scripture that we started with in Ephesians 2, or Ephesians 4, to grow into the fullness of of the people that God's called us to be as a church body, as people involved in the church, it would be fullness and that we, we kind of complete each other in the way we were wired and the giftings that he's given us. And, and so as we go into this, no, I mean, you guys know what this is like. I mean, you, you talk with someone and they're just talking a different language than you. I feel like I, this happens when I talk to people in the military or people in like engineering and they start talking like in like 
uh, all kinds of code, and I'm like, dude, I'm on a different wavelength than you like to speak in my language. I mean, you, you've had the same thing where maybe someone's speaking in very hoft, uh, like lofty spiritual language, and you're not used to that, and you're just like, you got to break it down for me. Help me to understand what you're saying. And sometimes we connect on different wavelengths, but there's actually a, a tension there, and, and the whole point of today's message is to and this whole series is to realize that it's not picking one or the other, but that one refines the other. And that in the tension, the tension is good because it directs us to the Lord. And through that, he refines our motives and he directs our steps. The tension is good because it points us to the Lord and he refines our motives and directs our steps. So we're going to go into a passage in Luke chapter 16, and it's a fun one. Jesus is the perfect place to go. And Jesus, the way he loved to teach was by stories, was by parables. And the thing about Jesus' parables and his stories that's so amazing is that they were so practical. They were so connected to everyday application. He talked about money, which we all have to deal with. And he talked about building a house, which we've all seen done before. He talked about food, and he talked about so many other things. And there was always this practical story, but, but beneath it or above it was this deep spiritual meaning. He gave practical application for the spiritual and connected them both. And with the, the simplest phrase, it has the weightiest meaning. And so we're going to go to Luke chapter 16. And this parable is, is one that Jesus talks about. And he, it's called the sh- uh, parable of the shrewd manager. And I hate the word shrewd. I feel like it reminds me of Scrooge. And I don't think it has anything to do with the, the meaning but it just reminds me, and I kind of think of someone that's bitter and old, but really the meaning of shrewd, and especially in the Greek text that we're looking at here, we actually won't be reading Greek, so you don't have to read Greek to be here. But if you look at the Greek text, it actually means prudent or wise. And so you do, see the difference between the word shrewd and, and wise? It's like, it's very different. And so we're going to go to Luke chapter 16, and we're going to go through the first 15 verses, literally verse by verse. And in the first nine verses, it's kind of broken up, and it's the story. Jesus is telling the story, and then he'll kind of follow up the story. Sometimes he doesn't do this. Sometimes he just gives you the story, and he's like, just work it out. Figure it out. <laughs> it's like a, a riddle that Jesus is going. But then sometimes he unpacks it for us a little more. And so we'll kind of follow through with what Jesus does here, and, and we'll unpack it and give his instruction in, in the way that Jesus often does it. And we'll kind of end with five questions that Jesus, I think, would give to us today to ask ourselves about how we're managing. Jesus told his disciples, verse 1, chapter 16, there was a rich man whose manager was accused of wasting his possessions. We're literally going to take it verse by verse, so if you get annoyed, like you want to finish the whole thing, we're not going like that. We're going to unpack it. Jesus told us that there was a rich man, and he, uh, his manager was accused of wasting his possessions. For our purposes today, uh, he's going to end up firing this manager. Spoiler alert. He's going to end up firing him so we believe that he was more than accused, that there was actually meaning to this accusation. He had something to follow up with because he's going to end up firing him. In this time period, I mean, we're familiar with like rich people who have people that run their business. That's exactly what this was. Many times a manager for a rich landowner in this time was a slave that was born into his household. It was a slave that was born into his household, and he had an opportunity to grow and develop. And just like any manager that we know, they have certain authorities and certain responsibilities. They can, there's certain tasks they can perform, there's certain authorities they have, and there's certain ones they don't. In this case, many times they could write loans for the landowner. Like the landowner wasn't around, he could write loans on the property, they had extra oil, he could give them extra, and like he could collect interest on it. And the interest, uh, on top of the interest, he could add his commission. 
And so in this idea of wasting his possessions, really it's his reputation too. That if he were, was overcharging people to receive money for himself, it, it did the landowner uh, a disservice in the community because it lowered his reputation. It, it caused um, kind of pain and kind of lowered his reputation in the community, which was a big deal. Honor, shame, society that they lived in. Uh, di- a little bit different from what we live in. And so he's accused. And so the kind of the first thing that I'd set up that I think Jesus is setting up us for, and, and this is just kind of an outline that I've, I've kind of put together, and, um, and, and really what this says, verse 1, I, I believe it's talking about the fall. Every single one of us ha- have wasted some possessions. We've blown through a hundred bucks that we should have saved. Um, we've had a day off, and we knew we should have been doing this or that, and we've wasted it. We've had a great opportunity, and we've let it slip by. I think all of us were born in as slaves to sin, and even after we turn to the Lord and give him our life, we're still, we fight the flesh and the spirit. So again, remember I said that the battle is not between, uh, is it practical or spiritual? It's a battle between spirit and flesh. And so that's really what we're looking at here. And we've all kind of wasted possessions. And I really think the two ways to break this down is, uh, one is the, the grace of God is first what we um, is first what we waste. And when we don't cherish the grace of God that's been given, the love that's been given to us uh, by our Father in heaven, and, and we do that. We take for granted his love and we go off and continue in a life of sin. We take for granted his, his mercy and we do it again, right? I mean, we, we've all been there. We've all done that. And I think another precious commodity for us is the life he's given us, our time and our resources. And all of us have fallen in that way. All of us have come short of the glory of God in this way. And I think that Jesus is kind of connecting us to this manager. So if we can all kind of put ourselves in this place and realize that we've all, we've all wasted something. You know, I, I think in, a, in America, we don't realize how much we waste. You got to go to a third world country or grow up in, in the Great Depression and realize really what it is to save everything, to not waste. Like how many things, like I just get the trash out, just get, get it all out, get the clutter out. How many of you guys are like that in your house? I, I'm like that. I'm like, get the clutter out. I'm seeing the clutter. I'm going to go crazy. Um, we're all like, so many of us are, are, are like that, and we waste the possessions that are given us. And, and the most two, the failure to, to cherish our most pr- precious commodities, I believe the grace of God and the life that he's given us here on earth. Let's continue to verse two. So he called him in and he asked him, what is this I hear about you? Give an account of your manage- management because you cannot be my management any longer. <laughs> be my manager any longer. Basically, you're fired. <laughs> like, it, it, he kind of, kind of went on about it. Give an account, but forget about it. You're, you're fired. So he, he fires the guy. And here's really where it comes in. And for us on the outside, we're like, well, hey, he was just accused. Well, obviously, I don't think he would he would accuse him if he didn't have a little more. A lot of times you just want to hear the story, but like, I really don't need the story. You guys know what I'm talking about? Like, you can tell me the story, but this person, there's like three people that said this happened. So I'm going to believe, believe the three over, over the one. So he fires him. And I really, what, what happens here on the outside, it just looks like straight punishment, doesn't it? Like, hey, this is what you did, therefore you're punished. But there's so much more that there's actually a lot of mercy in here. Because it was such a big deal, most of the time when this happened, when uh, a manager wasted possessions, they would throw them in jail. Like the landowner would have them thrown in jail in order to make up the difference for what was owed to him and, or stolen from him. They would throw them in jail and they would extort that money out of their family to get them out of jail. <laughs> so 
Uh, sounds like the right way to do things, right? Um, so basically, that's what they would do. That was many times how they would get their money, how they would make up for the wasted possessions, for the stealing or whatever took place. They would do it in this fashion. But so in this, he doesn't throw him in jail. He punishes him, you're fired, but he doesn't throw him in jail. So there's actually mercy in this judgment, in this punishment. And many times we can wonder, is the Lord going to act justly or is he, he going to act in, in grace or mercy? Which way is the Lord going to act? And I, I think that's kind of a, a wrong view because I, I don't think the Lord has to make choices like that. Because I think he, he doesn't operate between justice and mercy. I believe he is justice and I believe he is love. And so his decisions and his thinking, and though maybe that justice is not seen in the short term, but it certainly will be seen in the, in the long term. Maybe that grace or mercy is not seen in the physical consequences we have to deal with because of our sin or our, our situations, but certainly in the long run, um, that return will happen. So God operates perfectly in justice and love, not between them. He's not making a choice, and that's something we're going to be getting to today, is that when we operate in this practical and spiritual, that we don't have to choose, because it directs us to the Lord, and he directs our steps and purifies our motives. So let's continue here. There's punishment and mercy. The manager said to himself, what shall I do now? My master's taking away my job. I'm not strong enough to dig, and I'm ashamed to beg. Okay, so I'm fired. Now what? I'd say this is the decision point that we all face. Like we've wasted possessions. There's a consequence for it. Okay, so now what kind of decision am I going to make? I think our life is completely made up of little decisions that we make all day about how we're going to handle the resources that God's given us. And it's so tough. I, I mean, this, this week I was sitting in a small group of a couple of guys, and I asked them, hey, what's, what's the biggest tension you're dealing with? And I said, let me lead it off. Time and money. Like, is there a bigger tension that most of us are living with is time and money? And it's always a decision. Like, hey, need to do something here for, for money, but then time. And especially if you're living on like an hourly wage and living in that realm, it, it's like very tough to, to make those decisions. Like, do I want to take this extra shift? Do I want to take this, this new job that's going to cost me that many more hours? And you, where we add hours to our paycheck, we take them away from our family. We take them away from our time with God's family. So there's always a consequence. So that tension is one that all of us battle with on a regular basis. And so it's a decision. Our life is literally made up of all these little decisions on a daily basis. And the question that really can come out of this is, is how are we stewarding those little, little decisions? And some of them will think are major, big, spiritual decisions, and God's just, I think he would just point us back to the practical application of what he's already told us to do. And sometimes we just think this is a nothing decision. We make it off of practical reasons, but there's always spiritual implications to these practical decisions we make. Well, this makes sense for this reason, and we'll talk about justifying things here in a little bit, but this makes sense because of this reason. We talk about the practicality of life, but there's always spiritual implications. It's a question like, what kind of, what kind of decisions have we been making how, uh, about our time and our resources that, that really cost us? in the long run, and we don't even realize it. And so all of us have a decision to make. The manager has a decision to make. I don't know, like, what do you do? What do you do? You just got fired. And one thing to know, as we go ahead and go on to the next verse, one of the things to know about this, about this time period is that, again, if you're fired, who's the last person, or what's the one thing you leave off your resume? The person you just got fired from. And for a, a person that's grown up as a slave and now is a manager, now led a lot, and in a smaller community that this was in, 
everybody knew about it. Like, what's the, I mean, that's the hardest part. Like, when you get fired, is like taking your things and walking and everyone seeing you and whispering. But I mean, isn't that? I mean, some of you that have been through that, like, that's the worst part. And that's what he was going through. He's like, what am I going to do? Like, this landowner has given me everything I've ever wanted. I've had an opportunity to work and make a living and build a family. And like, he's had all that. And now, what am I going to do? So he has to make a decision here. So let's go uh, to verse 4. Let's read verse 4 through 7 because he's going to take a course of action here. He's going to do something. Let's see if it was a good decision after his fallout here. He's like, I know what I'll do. So that when I lose my job here, people will welcome me into their homes. So I'll have somewhere to go. I need to go out and make amends with some of these people. I need to figure something out. Because I don't want to have to dig or something like that. So he called in each one of his master's debtors. He asked the first, how much do you owe my master? 900 gallons of olive oil. That's a lot of, that's a lot of olive oil. They used it a lot. Like, so that was... That was a lot. And so many times when it would be purchased, it, it wouldn't be purchased for one household, but it'd be like grandpa like purchased it and like all his five kids and their families lived it. They lived in a very communal style with multiple generations. So it sounds like a lot to us, but they would purchase it for a year. And actually this loan and both the next one, it equals about a year and a half wage for us. It was 500 denarii is what each one of these debts that are going to come up, 500 denarii, denarii is about a day's wage according to scripture. So 500 days, so whatever your yearly salary is, do that a year and a half, and that's how much he owed for this in total. So a year and a half, and so again, uh, you're not giving everything towards that, so it's going to take a very long time just to pay off his oil bill. <laughs> like that's, that's a lot. The manager told him, take your bill, sit down quickly, Make it 450. Cut the thing in half, man. Like, all right, some of you guys got car loans, you got mortgages, uh, m- most of us have something like that. Like, cut that bill. Someone comes to you, cut that bill in half, right? Like, the best day of your life, like, possibly. Like, amazing. Like, I-, I went from paying this thing off over the next 20 years to paying it in the next 10, you know, whatever it is, or five years to two and a half. Cut it down in half. This is a big day. Any reputation that he had has soiled because of extorting money or getting extra money. Like, you were complaining about them on Facebook yesterday, but you're like, this is the best company in the world today after they cut your bill in half. Go to verse 7. Then he asked the second, how much do you owe? A thousand bushels of wheat, he replied. He told him, take your bill and make it 800. So he doesn't cut it in half, but he cuts it down percentage. So we're going to have to ask ourselves a couple of questions. What's he doing here? What's the actual plan that he's going with. Take your bill, cut it down to 800. Let's look here. Because there's a course correct. And that's really what he does here. He puts a plan in place. And and for some of us that we have to make decisions in our life about our resources, how we're going to do them. When we make mistakes, when we were in Georgia um, and we were serving at a church, I'm a workaholic by blood. I am. I just, by nature, like I just got to go after it. I was a workaholic, and when we moved down here and we started this church, I, I looked at my wife and I'm like, babe, we get to redo this thing, how we're going to do it. And when I was saying we, I was saying me. <laughs> um, it just feels better when we say we. Um, h- how am I going to do this, b- b- being our primary breadwinner and, and source of income? Like, how am I going to go out and, and just ministry-wide? I got a course correct here. I, I don't like the direction I'm going emotionally. I, I don't think it's helping me spiritually to be working 90 hours a week. I, I, it's not helping our family. We're having kids, and I'm always feeling guilty about not spending time with our little baby. 
And I had to make a course correct. And I had good justification for it. I was doing the Lord's work, right? I mean, I, I had great justification for it. I was working hard. I was making it happen. I could justify it as good as anybody. But there was consequences to that fall. There was consequences um, to, to the, the wasted resources, the wasted time I had with my wife, with my family. There was consequences um, to, to what I was sacrificing in my body physically. There was consequences. There was punishment with that. And there was a decision I had to make. And I, I, I kind of made that course correct. And, and some of us, as we kind of go through today over the next week or so, we may be thinking, like, God may be telling me to course correct. I don't know what it looks like. Maybe it's to go into the boss and say, hey, man, I just can't work overtime every week like you've been making me do for the past six months. I just can't do it anymore. I love the extra money. It's just not good for my family. And that may be the scariest decision because you think your butt's on the line, but that may be the greatest decision you ever make for the health of your family, for the health of yourself. I'm not telling you don't take overtime ever. I, I'm just saying, uh, just as an example, like, we have to make decisions. And without a plan, it's only a dream. Like, hey, I wish it was like that, but how many of us have lived that life? I wish it was like that, and we never put a plan in place, and so it was only a dream, and it never comes to action. And so there has to be a plan, and for this manager, he made some mistakes, and like, he needed to make amends, and so he did. He put a plan in place, and he did it quickly. Like, he got on it. So many times we wait and we linger and like, yeah, I'll wait. And maybe that decision, I'll, I'll come around to it, Lord, and I'll do that. And until it starts costing us, and then we realize at some point, and usually just the bar gets lower and lower every time. We just lower the expectation for what we want of ourselves, for what we want of our family, what we want for our career, what kind of life we want. We just lower the expectation until it hurts so bad that we have to course correct. Let's not wait that long. Let's not wait that long. For your health, your own personal spiritual journey, for the, the, the health of your family, don't wait that long. And so that hard decision or conversation, it's going to make life better, not because everything's going to be perfect, but because you'll be walking in obedience and you'll be stewarding the time and resources that you've been given God's way. Uh, so let's look at verse 8 because this can really be misconstrued, verse 8, because it gets a little bit weird. The master commended the dishonest manager. That just reads really weird. The master, especially if we're looking at God towards us and he's wasted some of his stuff. The master commended the dishonest manager because he had acted shrewdly or wisely or prudently. For the people of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than are the people of life. The, the people of the world are, are, can handle money better than God's people. And, and who he's talking to is what we're going to find out in just a few verses is that there's a group of Pharisees around and they're literally making fun of Jesus as he's teaching. And Jesus is not directly, like he's telling a story here, but he's like talking to you back then. <laughs> like he's directly like trying to get a message across because, again, we actually looked at the text last week about these same Pharisees, again, where they were, they were kind of, um, they were straining out the, the, the camel, um, straining out the gnat and swallowing the camel. They were missing the big picture. And so that's what Jesus is trying to get at here. The master commanded the dishonest manager. So we have to begin to ask, like, okay, the, the, he, he, says, like, good job. Basically gives him praise in this situation is what takes place. Like, good job, man. You did it. Like, you course corrected. And some have kind of viewed this differently. And so if you begin to look into some commentaries, they'll see this differently. But I, I, I really believe that we have to ask ourselves, what's happening in verses 5 through 7? Because three things could be taking place. First, the manager just could be cutting costs just to save face, basically. Just to save reputation of the owner, to save face that he has somewhere to land, maybe a job after this. Like, you start feeling your job's falling apart. You start trying to fix some other things. 
you know, let me set some things up. Uh, I've heard that phrase before. So the first option is that he's just cutting it just to save face, reputation in the community, get the opportunity. The, the second one is that he just cut interest. Like he said, okay, just forget it. Like, let's, let's wipe the interest out. This is something that could be done by Mosaic law. Um, there's not a, a whole lot of um, kind of hard facts on this, but again, you know, just different things. But why would it be different cost if it was just the interest? Well, he could do different. Every deal was different. You know, they can get you in this deal or get you in that deal, and, and interest could be wiped away with different types of things like oil or wheat or whatever. So, um, so that's the second option. The third option is that he sacrifices his own commission. That he, he says, you know, my owner needs his money. Like, I, I, I need to do more. And, and that's the only one that makes sense to me just as a reader, as a theologian reading this. Like, it's the only one that makes sense to me because otherwise, I don't think he'd be like, great job, man. Uh, great, you know, if he just, um, you know, was doing the other. I mean, why would he be saying that to this dishonest manager if he didn't really kind of make amends, if he didn't make a sacrifice himself? And so I'm kind of prone to think in that light. He says, for the people of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than the people of light. And he's directly talking to his Pharisees. And so he kind of praises him and says, great job. Great job for kind of turning things around. And like, that's what we want to hear from the Lord, like, just at the end of the day, like, man, that's just kind of a good day to wait. Many times, what do we do, like, in our, in our nighttime prayers? I, I quote it because that's sometimes, like, the only time we pray all day. Um, we come to those nighttime prayers, and we kind of lay out, hey, God, can you help me with this? Can you help me with that? But, like, wouldn't we just love to say, like, Lord, how do I do today? <laughs> how do I do stewarding the time and the resources that you've given me? If you begin asking this question, and, and, and not become, thinking practical or spiritual, but thinking in all of it. Like, God, help, help me. Like, how did I do today managing the time and resources that you've given me? How did I do? I think we can, it can really breathe life into our decision-making process. And it point every time, how many decisions are we making? We're making them all day, every day. You know, and, and sometimes we can get bogged down in the details on things that God's told us to do already the obedience that we should just be walking out with, and we're like, okay, I'm going to pray about this for the next six months. Like, no, he already told you to do it. Just do it. Like, you, you don't got to throw down the fleece a thousand times. You know, so uh, let's move on. And Jesus is going to take a little bit of a turn here, and he's going to just begin pouring out and just kind of in, giving instruction. Uh, I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends. He's just kind of throwing an extra one in here, I think, for, um, for them. So use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourself, because that's what the Pharisees were doing. Um, so that when it's gone, you'll be welcomed into eternal dwellings. He, he's saying, like, you better work something out, I think is what Jesus is, is kind of saying here. Work things out so that, that you'll land in, in a better place. You know what I mean? Work things out. Handle your money better. Like, eat, eat your worldly wealth, the things you have on this earth, so that when it's gone, you'll be welcomed into eternal dwellings. I want to turn my attention to, to the last five verses, verses 10 through 15. 10 through 15? I always get confused. That's six verses or that five? 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15. See, that's so weird to me. I feel like 10 to 15 should be five, but it's six. Is that weird to anybody else? Okay, it kind of blows your mind when you really stop think, start to think about it. But you count zero. I guess that's the deal. Um, <laughs> sorry. Let's go to verse 10, and we're going to kind of change gears here and, and come out of the story and just kind of begin to digest what this means for us, what this means for our life. Verse 10. Whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. You've heard this before. Our kids and our and Fathom kids learned this all month last month. They were learning to, to, to be faithful with just the little things. Be faithful with their, their one dollar. 
Whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. And whoever's dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. I think if God was asking us the question, how are you doing in the little things? Like if we can just turn this into not rhetorical, but we have an answer, I think Jesus would begin, many times he asks questions. People ask him a question and he turns the question around. He's like, he asks them another question. Let's just let Jesus do that with, with these instructions. I think the first thing he'd say is like, how are you doing in the little things? Like, how faithful are you being in, in the little things? You know, if you, if you blow through a thousand dollars and never give second thought or never ask the Lord what to do with it, if you do that with a thousand dollars, you'll do it with ten dollars. If you'll do it with ten dollars, if you can't be faithful with ten dollars, you're not going to be faithful with ten thousand. There's a principle that Jesus is saying across, across the board. How are you doing? How are you doing in the little things? Like, do you want more? Do, do you want to be trusted with more? And someone's like, I can be trusted with the Bentley, Lord. Just let me give it a spin. I worked at that valet place. Like, I can be trusted with the Bentley. Just give me one shot at it. That's what, what we start thinking about, but we don't realize there's all these decisions on a daily basis that we have to confront, and we're not really stewarding them well. And we, th- we can justify them. We can justify why we're not. But when it comes down to it, are we being faithful in the little things so that we'll be trusted with much? First question, how are you doing in those little things? I think our, our, our next verse is going to lead us and get even, even get deeper on us. So if you've not been trustworthy in handling world, worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? I think the next question is like, how are you doing with worldly wealth? Like, let's point it right in, like with worldly wealth. How are you managing it? How are you handling it? Are, are, are you wasting it? Have you asked the Lord, like, God, how am I supposed to manage this? How am I supposed to, to lead this? Are, are we ever sitting between the tension and letting it direct us to the Lord, as opposed to saying, making all these practical decisions or making all these, quote-unquote, spiritual decisions? Say, God, I, I bring it to you. You just tell, like, tell me, like, lead me, guide me. Like, some of us, like, the only time we go to the Lord is, like, when we, quote-unquote, like, need him, like, where we get, again, to that bottom of the barrel place. I can't take it anymore doing it on my own, Right? But like, what would it look like on a daily basis just to allow the Lord into our decisions? Our time decisions that we have to make every day, all day. Am I going to go cut the grass or am I going to sit down with my kid and play with him for an hour before he goes to bed? Are we going to go buy this another toy or are we going to invest it into our kids, you know, not retirement, your kids' college or whatever? Or am I going to invest this in missions? Like, when, what kind of life would that breathe into our life if we just were constantly asking the Lord about these decisions and not just going off on our own to just try to figure things out, but just saying, God, I trust you in everything. I want to be faithful in the little things as well as the big things. If you can't be faithful in the little things, he's not going to trust us in the big ones and what he calls true riches. How are you handling worldly wealth? Some of us were like, well, I'm not wealthy. I hate that word. I'm not wealthy. Man, we are. Like, we don't even realize it. Like, we're in the top, like, 5%, even the poorest among us is like top 5% in the world. Like we are so rich, we don't even realize it. Like you probably drove here in a car. Like that makes you rich. Like you have clothes on your body and you, you eat food pretty regularly. You all look very healthy. I don't mean that like in a bad way. I mean that in a really good way. We're rich. We're rich. And we got to get it out of the suffering mentality that many of us live with. And realize that we're rich. We're rich because we have the Lord. We're rich um, because we live in America. How are we handling worldly wealth? Verse, verse 12. And if you've not been trustworthy with someone else's property, who will give you property of your own? This is one we probably never think about. But this is something that my dad taught me at a young age. 
He taught me this verse. He taught me this very verse. And sometimes if I saw trash on the ground, you know, I just walk by it. He taught me, stop and pick it up. And like that seems like a, just a simple principle that most of us don't care anything about. But he taught me this simple principle about caring for other people's property. Even like, what does that do to my heart? Like just immediately, it breaks open this selfish mentality where I'm so focused on myself and building my kingdom and gaining more for myself, upping my commissions, right? It's kind of the deal with the manager. I'm so focused on myself and it kind of breaks that mold as I kind of open my heart and say, you know, God, help me to care for other people's property. Most importantly, help me to care for your property. God, help me to invest in, in what's yours, God. How am I managing God's property? How am I managing what he's given me? What he's entrusted us with, those most precious commodities. How are we cherishing those or how are we wasting those? Verse 13. No one can serve two masters. You've heard this before. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. Jesus, he, he starts talking about master. This could be any kind of master, right? But then he hones in. Can't serve both God and money. You can't serve them both. And some of us, like, we, we probably haven't realized it, but we've just let money become the thing in which we, it's the filter in which we see all of life. Like how many, you, you don't wear rose-colored glasses, you wear green-colored glasses? Because that's how you see all of life. And it's a natural, it's a practical daily thing we all have to deal with. But Jesus talks about it almost more than anything else because he knows it's so connected to our heart. And if he can get our heart seen clear, seeing how he sees the world, like he can bring complete blessing into our life and a real joy and purpose that we don't experience when we pursue money. Like you've seen that, that journey end in the limelight with celebrities, with large business people. They make it all, and what do they say at the end of the day? You've heard it as well as I have. Money won't make you happy. But gosh, we sure let it try. We sure let it try. We do everything we can to fill all the, this void that the Lord wants to fill. We, we try to make all these decisions in our wisdom and our practicality or our spirituality. We try to make all these decisions and the Lord's just like, just turn to me. I know you feel the tension. I know you feel the pressures of life. Just, just turn to me. Like, I want to speak life into that decision. Just, just let me. Just quit, quit being selfish thinking that it's all about you. In the final one, verses 14 and 15, Jesus kind of brings up here what is happening with the Pharisees. Verse 14. The Pharisees who loved money heard all this and were sneering at Jesus. Verse 15. He said to them, You're the ones who justify yourselves in the eyes of others. But God knows your hearts. What people value highly is detestable in God's sight. I heard this story a couple of days ago. Blew my mind. It literally blew my mind about this pastor in Alabama. It broke my heart, man. It broke my heart for the congregation that was probably similar size to our church. And he had found out that he was diagnosed with HIV back in 2003, about 10 years ago. It had progressed to, to full-blown AIDS by 2008. About five weeks ago, he told his deacons at his church that he had AIDS. Just told them after six years, just told him that he had AIDS, just getting honest finally, starting, start, starting the process to be honest. I think this past Sunday or last Sunday or the Sunday before, comes to the pulpit and says, hey, just want to tell everybody I have AIDS and I've been sleeping with a bunch of women in the church. 
and he says, oh yeah, and I've been using marijuana regularly and cocaine, pretty much any other drug you can think of, I've been using it regularly for the past six years. He doesn't stop. Just keep it rolling while we got it going. He's like, oh yeah, and I've been misusing our church funds for years. So they do a vote. Vote them out. Two people said like, yeah, well, no, we still want you as our pastor. I'm like, what are you? T- You've been smoking something too, that's why. He's your dealer, that's why you're so in love. So he, uh, so the next day, he changed the locks on the church and takes all the money out of the bank account. It's like, dude, like, come on, man. And I, 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 thought I read that story earlier in the week, and it didn't occur to me until later in the week. I'm like, a guy that was like given like an opportunity to lead and steward so much, he wasted it. Like you may not be leading the congregation, but how are you leading yourself? Like where are you cutting corners? The last thing, what are you justifying? <laughs> What's the money you've been justifying? The way you've been spending? What's the time you've been justifying? What's the sin you've been justifying? Like maybe it's just time we get honest. Like get up, I'm not telling you to come up in front of the congregation and tell about all that like the pastor did. We got to first get honest with ourselves and realize we're justifying some things that we know aren't cool. We know we're wasting some resources. We know we're not handling God's property and others' property. We know we're not handling wealth like we should. and We know we've been serving two masters and it doesn't work like that. And God's drawing us in. Let me just bring, the, bring this home one more time. And when we were um, at another church working, we lived right on these two exits that were right off interstate. And we just, I've talked about this some, that there was just a high homeless population, a high transient population that would stop it in our church. We lived right on, on the edge of like government housing. Like I can't tell you how many days I had private eyes sitting in my, in my yard, eyeing on whatever was happening in our community. And uh, I sat two doors away from the front door, and, and um, it was cool. But uh, like 5, 10, 12 people a day would come to the door needing help. They needed money. They needed food. They, needed ch- they just needed the basics sometimes. Sometimes they just wanted us to pay their light bill. I'm like, dude, I can't pay your light bill. We couldn't pay our own if we did that. But I found myself in different seasons, like operating, like moving really one way because I I kind of put a plan together, right? For my day, I've got real to-do lists. I got that analytical side too. Got it all laid out, all organized. And every time that door would knock, I had to ask the Lord, God, tell me what's the most important thing in this moment. Help me to see what you see, not what I see. And that just... it, for a while, it frustrated me because I, I found myself moving from one side of it to like, no, you can't have anything, go away. To the other side of like, you can have the shirt on my back and doing everything. And I'm not saying either of those things are wrong. I'm saying both of those are right, but we got to obey the Lord. It, it's not a matter of one or the other. It's, yes, Lord, I'm here. What are you telling me to do? You telling me to go back to what you already told me to do? Or are you telling me to change my plans that I thought were so stinking smart? Just help me to just take a deep breath, Lord, and recognize you. Help me to point it towards you. I love what Galatians 5.1 says, that it is for freedom that Christ set us free. That sounds like one of the silliest statements, like for freedom, 
You set us free. You didn't have to say it twice. It is, it, like, he just wants us to be free. He could have said it. It is for freedom that he said, stand firm. Don't let yourself again be burdened by the yoke of slavery. Don't let yourself fall in this pattern of doing things your own way, working to figure it all out, but find freedom in the tension because it points us to the Lord. There's great freedom, and I don't have to pick practical or spiritual because God's like, I want it all. I want it all. I want your spirit. I want your mind. I want your emotions. I want your physical body. I want it all. Quit justifying things in your life and like, hey, I, I come up here and I can, I can preach it good, but like straight up, like there's some things in my life that I'm justifying. They're not things that anybody would get upset about, but they're things that in my heart God's convicted me about. They are. And I got good justification just like you do. And the Lord's bringing it home to me. The tension points us back to the Lord that he can purify our motives and direct our steps.